are in a series focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, and today I'm going to focus on anger. We're going to focus on anger, a good Mother's Day message here. (laughs) Focus on uh, anger here. And so Jesus, throughout the course of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about so many different topics in one sermon. And so uh, you should be grateful. I'm just going to touch on one issue today. When you, when you look at the, the range of issues Jesus talks about, he talks about being salt and light. He talks about the law. He talks about lust, adultery, divorce, making oaths, forgiveness, prayer, generosity, fasting, anxiety, judging others, true and false prophets. That's one sermon from Jesus. And so today we're just going to focus on one of those aspects of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to focus on anger and we're going to touch on his words uh, in Matthew 5, uh, beginning in verse number 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Let's pray together. Lord... Through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make this passage come alive in us, that you would, Lord, zero in on areas in our hearts that you want to address and heal and transform. And Lord, may we be attentive to your voice over the next few minutes. We offer this time to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Anger and the kingdom of God. You know, the question about anger is not whether we have it or not. The question is, to what degree has anger influenced your life? To what degree has anger influenced your life? Because anger affects everyone. Anger is something that is very real, which is why I really identify personally uh, with the Incredible Hulk. I identify with the Incredible Hulk. Now, I might, look, I might not look like the Incredible Hulk, but... I know some of you are saying, what? Well, I see it, Rich. I see it. Uh, But I really identify with the Incredible Hulk and his anger problems. There's a scene in one of the Avengers movies, one of the first ones or so, and the Avengers is about a movie about superheroes, when a a massive monster-looking creature is causing havoc in the city. And Bruce Banner who is the Hulk when he's not the Hulk, when he's just a regular guy. He, he walks towards this massive thing just as himself. And it was at that moment in the scene where Captain America looks at him and says, Dr. Banner, now is a good time to get angry. Because whenever the Hulk got angry, he would turn into the Hulk and beat up all the other things there. And Bruce Banner looks at Captain America very calmly and says, That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. And he turns into the Hulk and and busts up the whole thing. And it's wonderful. It's just so wonderful. (laughs) 
Now, I can identify with that because, and especially for that moment when he says, I'm always angry because for most of my life, I've carried anger. I identify with it. Growing up in the neighborhood I grew up in, in the 80s and 90s in Brooklyn, anger was something you needed for survival. You had to be angry if you were going to survive. And more than survive in my neighborhood, to be angry was a point of pride in the neighborhood. It was cool to be angry. It was cool to look angry. It was cool to look like you were something to be reckoned with. And so there were times where I would just walk through the neighborhood looking angry in Brooklyn. And it, and it helps when you have a bop as well. When you're angry and you got a Brooklyn bop as well, I mean, it just, it just fits the thing. You're just walking angry, just walking down the block here. And I remember one day I had my hat down and I'm looking out into the distance, just looking angry, not looking at anyone in particular. And this was the last day that I was angry in this way because I'm looking out here in the distance and I, I'm got the bop going and I see a guy running towards me. And I'm going, that's odd. Why is he walking in this direction here? I'm just walking. And I see that there's his girlfriend holding him back and he's getting closer to me. And I'm going, why is he getting closer to me? And he walks over here. He thought the whole time I was looking at him. And so he comes up to me and says, what are you looking at? Right in my face here while his girlfriend is saying, leave him alone, leave him alone, leave him And I said, nothing, I wasn't looking at you. I was not looking at you. I changed my walk very quickly. I stopped with the box, I was just walking like this. That's how I walked through Brooklyn the rest of my life. I said, well, I'm not getting in trouble here. I walk fast here. And at that moment, I changed really quickly. A lot of anger in him, and yet there was a lot of anger in me as well. Anger was important for survival. And yet I became a Christian, and I got very confused about what Christians do with anger and how Christians are supposed to deal with anger. Because I would hear messages that, as a Christian that any kind of anger was a bad thing, that Christians should never be angry. And so coming to terms with anger as a Christian has been a very big challenge. And yet, this is what I want you to see today in our passage, that anger can be seen as a redemptive gift or a destructive power. Anger is a redemptive gift or it is a destructive power. Now, the, the issue of anger in the church is very complicated because we all have families and cultures where we come from and different church experiences that give us lessons and scripts about anger. That it's okay to be angry here, but not here. And as a Christian, you better never be angry. And yet Jesus has some very strong words about anger in the kingdom of God. In our passage in Matthew 5, Jesus is addressing his disciples. And before he talks about anger, there's a section in the sermon that he talks about the righteousness of the Pharisees. And how the disciples are to have a righteousness that is deeper than theirs. Now, the Pharisees were a group of religious people with a heavy dose of religious observance. And many of them, I believe, were good people. They wanted to do the right thing, these Pharisees. But they had a collective spirit among them. And it was one of boundary making. They would set up ways to determine who was in and who was out. And it was mostly determined on external actions but didn't transform their hearts. 
And so they focus on lots of the externals, but not on the inside of the heart. And so Jesus' message was a message that they did not really live out. And Jesus is essentially saying in his sermon, in my kingdom, we don't just deal with the externals. We deal with the heart. They were focused on the externals, but not the heart. And so Jesus says, if your righteousness is going to exceed the Pharisees, it must go deeper than the Pharisees. It's more than just what you do. It's the the state of your heart. And so to have a righteousness deeper than the Pharisees means that the stuff beneath the surface of our lives is transformed, is healed in the name of Jesus. Now, this is surprising language because no one thought that they could exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees prayed more than anyone else. The Pharisees gave more than anyone else. The Pharisees were the best kind of religious people. And yet Jesus says, your righteousness is to exceed theirs. Why? Because it's not about doing more than them. It's about going deeper than them. It's about allowing God to transform the inner spaces of your lives. And Jesus knows that you can have a lot of religious observance on the outside, but not be truly transformed on the inside. Isn't this the story of the elder brother and the story of the prodigal son? The elder brother, he stays at the house the whole time. The younger son goes out and does whatever he wants. But the elder son has done the right things. He's gone to every church service. He said yes to his father whenever his father wanted, to do, wanted him to do something. He always did the right thing. He was a good son, an observant son, a religious son. And at the end of the story, we see that this good religious observant son had a lot of resentment inside of him, had a lot of anger inside of him. He he had a lot of judgment inside of him. And Jesus knows that you can have a lot of religious observers on the outside, but not be truly transformed on the inside. And so God is not looking for obedience without our hearts. He wants our actions to be shaped by a level of inner awareness and transformation. And so Jesus says repeatedly in this sermon at this point, he wants us to get to the heart of things. And so he says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And when Jesus says this phrase, he's asserting his ultimate authority over everything, even what, said, what was said before him. And so Jesus says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, up to this point, the Pharisees thought, we're doing pretty good because we're not physically killing anyone. But Jesus says, God's kingdom is deeper than that. He says, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. Now, before we move any further here, we need to settle some things because there were times when Jesus was angry. And you hear Jesus is saying, don't be angry. And so which one is it, Jesus? Is Jesus practicing what he preaches or is he not practicing what he preaches? 
Because there are times when Jesus gets angry. In John chapter 2, when he sees people taken advantage of in the temple courts, we see Jesus sees the injustice before him. He takes out a whip. He creates a whip. He flips tables. He's angry and says, my father's house should be called the house of prayer for all nations. Jesus at that moment is very angry. He is mad. On another occasion, Jesus gets angry. And this is the only time in the Bible where it says Jesus was angry. And this is what it says. It says, another time, this is Mark 3, another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a weak and twisted hand was there. And some Pharisees were trying to find fault with Jesus. They watched him closely. They wanted to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath day. And Jesus spoke to the man with the weak and twisted hand, stand up in front of everyone, he said. Then Jesus asked them, what does the law say we should do on the Sabbath day? Should we do good or should we do evil? Should we save life or should we kill? But no one answered. Then verse 5, it says, Jesus looked around at them in anger. He was very upset because their hearts were stubborn. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was as good as new. Now, either Jesus doesn't practice what he preaches or there's a couple of ways of understanding anger. And I think it's the latter rather than the former. When you look at Jesus, we see that anger can be seen as a redemptive gift. Anger is a redemptive gift. Anger is a gift that we need that helps us to address things that are not right in the world. That anger is a, there's a positive aspect to anger to help us make right in the world that which is not right. And we need anger to fuel us into creative action, to work for justice in the world. As one of my professors would say some years ago, he would say, Rich, if you look around and see all the problems and injustice in the world, and if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. There's certain things should anger you. There's certain things should frustrate you. There's certain things that should make you say, that is not right. That is wrong, and we need to address this. So anger in one respect is to help move us towards creative action, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to do the things that make God's rights, all that is wrong with the world, to make it right in the name of Jesus, which is why earlier on Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God gives us the gift of anger to stir us into creative action. There's a good way of seeing anger as a redemptive gift, but in Matthew 5, Jesus is not talking about anger as a redemptive gift. Jesus is talking about it as a destructive power. And let me break down this line for us. Jesus says, whenever someone is angry, he said, you, you have heard it say you shall not murder, but I tell you, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you are already subjected to judgment. Now, the word anger here is, is the word uh, orgizomenos. Orgizomenos. That's a nice word, isn't it? Orgizomenos. And that word means to, it's a present tense word in the Greek language, and it's a present tense which means one who carries anger, remains angry. One who nurses a grudge. And so Jesus doesn't point in this passage to a single moment of anger. Because to be human means we're going to have moments of anger. He doesn't say whoever gets angry. He doesn't say whoever gets angry because he knows from time to time we're going to get angry at what we see. Angry at what happens to us. He says whoever is carrying it. 
nursing it, remaining in it. Another word for this might be resentment. Whoever's carrying this kind of destructive anger is already subject to a kind of judgment. Now, Dallas Willard has said, a philosopher has said that the kind of anger Jesus is talking about is this, that an energy is dedicated to keeping the anger alive, that we constantly remind ourselves how wrongly we have been treated. And Jesus knows that sooner or later to carry this level of anger crushes you and it crushes others. And so the image of orgazomenos, one who is constantly carrying anger that weighs you down, is one that we have to pay attention to. And it's an image of one who is carrying something and it's weighed you down because it's consumed you. One way to think about this is at the grocery store. The other day I went to the grocery store and I couldn't find a shopping cart. And so I was looking for one, couldn't find one. It seemed like everyone was going grocery shopping on that day. And so I looked for the basket, one of the hand baskets, and I couldn't find the hand basket. I'm thinking, what's going on? I'm looking through every register. You know, you walk through the register. No, I can't see it there. can't see it there. can't see it there. And finally, I saw someone who was done with it. Can I borrow it? Okay, thank you. And I, I took the, the, the hand basket, and I started adding stuff little by little to it. And little ladder the eggs and the bread and the orange juice, and I got it going there. And I got to the second aisle, and I just have one hand basket. I want to make one trip, and so I'm just adding everything to this. And, and after a while, it starts getting heavier, and I'm walking around now with a little limp here. I get to the meat section and realize I got to walk all the way to the front with this thing. Little by little, it's been piling on. And to the point where it's weighing me down now, and I got to just throw it on the counter to pay for all the stuff. I thought, what a good image of orgazomenos. <laughs> that you, you're carrying it, anger, and little by little, you add on. Little by little, you're nursing it. Little by little, you remind yourself of what happened. Little by little, it is weighing you down. Little by little, it is consuming you. Little by little, it is affecting you. It gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And Jesus says, it is this kind of anger that subjects you to judgment. It is this kind of anger that you nurse, that subjects you. And why? Because Jesus knows when you have, when you have this level of orgazomenos in you, it leads to a word that Jesus introduces called raka. And so orgazomenos leads to raka. It'll make sense at the end of the day. Orgazomenos leads to raka. This is what Jesus says in verse 22. After he says, whoever's angry, whoever's nursing, whoever's caring, whoever's holding all this, it consumes you, and it leads to this. He says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka is in danger of judgment. Orgazomenos leads to raka. This is what Jesus says. Now, this word raka means, translated means fool, idiot, jerk. It's the words we use when we're driving on Queens Boulevard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've seen some of you. And, 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 and so, and so to, to translate raka in this word really doesn't hit us in our culture because we kind of freely use idiot and jerk and fool uh, and, and kind of and, and on a weekly basis or so at some point or another. And so it doesn't really hit us what Jesus is getting at, the severity of this word raka. What does raka mean? Now, the word raka is, is more than just a word that we speak. It, it is the contempt that flows out of you as you speak it. 
It's a dehumanizing word. It's a word of condemnation. It's a word filled with the intent to hurt another. And to get to the seriousness of this word, Jesus says, this word subjects you to judgment. This word subjects you to, to, Jesus says, to, to the judgment of hell. And not just the hell that is to come. Jesus says, you live in a kind of hell today when this stuff is inside of you, unhealed and untransformed by God, raka. To get to the sense of the, the heaviness of this word in Jesus' day, it might be helpful to think of raka in a similar way that the N-word is used in this country and has been used against African Americans. It's the weightiness of it, the vitriol of it, the venom of it. Jesus says, Raka, that subjects you to judgment. Now, a number of years ago, I went on a missions trip uh, to West Palm Beach. You know, some of you are saying, what do you mean a missions trip to West Palm Beach? <laughs> I went on a missions trip to West Palm Beach. And I went with some other uh, young adults, and we were going to a Christian high school in West Palm Beach to preach, to pray for students, to do skits and all that stuff for this Christian. It was, and I found out later that it really was a missions trip to this high school because I don't think most of the kids, they were even Christian. And so I had, as I'm driving, uh, as I was in the backseat of one of these cars, I had to stay with one of the families who were uh, hosting different uh, folks who were on this trip. And one morning, we were driving uh, to the school to get to the chapel service, and there were two kids in the front. Uh, both of them were maybe a junior and a senior. They were able to drive in Florida, and so they were driving me uh, to the chapel service. So I'm sitting in the back, and we get to this red light in West Palm Beach, and I, 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 I'm just you know, talking to them, and I see on, this, on my side here on the street, on the boulevard, there's an African-American homeless man just walking very slowly. And at this red light, the, the kid on the passenger seat lowers his window and with the level of venom says, get out of here, and then says, you, and then says, N-word. And at that moment, I, it was, I was like paralyzed at that moment. I had never heard that with that level of venom and anger and hatred. And he just screamed it out, and they drove up. And later on, I would address it with him uh, and another person there. But at that moment, I was so taken aback by it. I had never heard that level of anger with that, with that one word. What was in that kid to say that with that level of hatred, to say that with that level of vitriol? And Jesus is saying here, I, I think he's saying something very similar. Raka is something similar. It's more than just a word. It's what is filling that word that comes out of your heart. And so Jesus says, even if you don't murder anyone to speak a mean-spirited, dehumanizing word to another, subjects us to judgment and subjects us to the power of hell. And I would say if you have that level of hatred inside of you, you are already living in a kind of hell because it consumes you. It destroys you and, this, and, and it destroys you. And the sad reality of our world is that we live in a rock out kind of world. When we look at our world, there is certainly a lot of anger. And there's a lot of orgazomenos that leads to raka in our world. And the raka comes out Often, 
in our relationships with others. You say, oh, you're a Democrat? Raka. <laughs> you a Republican? Raka. You voted for Trump? Raka. You support immigrants? Raka. You see a picture of your ex-husband on social media? Raka. Raka, raka, raka. You, go, you really go in there. Now, we might not say raka, but there are words that we carry and dispositions of our heart that we carry with disgust and anger against others. And I know all about this, everyone. I know all about this. There was some years ago that, that uh, there was a woman who, who hurt my wife, Rosie, and sometimes you get more angry at someone who hurts a loved one than someone who hurts you. And, uh, her, and I was just nursing this anger, just nursing this so much so when I would, I would see this woman who hurt Rosie, I, so I would, in my raka inside, just, it was just coming out of me, just like raka. And if I saw someone who looked like her, just raka, you know, I just, I just, I saw a commercial, raka, I'm everywhere. I just saw if she even looked like that person, it was coming out of me. I was nursing it, I was carrying it. And at the same time, it was consuming me, weighing me down. Jesus says, we, we, we are subjected to the kind of hellish life when this stuff is inside of us. Now, this point that Jesus is making about anger it is not without its complexity because there are certain realities that we, are, that we experience in which we have truly a right to be angry. So how do we nuance all this together? We have a right to be angry. There's some moments that, that you have experienced some kind of hurt from someone else, and you have a right to be angry. Didn't grow up with a kind of nurturing, loving environment growing up at a home, maybe in a dysfunctional home. You have a right to be angry and feel anger about that. Seeing others treated unfairly, you have a right to be angry. Wounded from someone who, who you love, you have a right to be angry. We, we are not robots. We are human beings. There are times where the anger we feel is legitimate anger we feel. Which is why uh, James Baldwin, what, it, it's instructive when he says years ago that to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. James Baldwin writes this at the height of like civil rights and the ways of, of, of how African Americans are being marginalized and treated. He says to be a Negro in this country, to be relatively conscious, is to be in a rage almost all the time. There are legitimate reasons to be angry. But this is what Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, there's no legitimate reason to let that anger destroy you. This is what he's saying. You have a legitimate right to be angry. But in the kingdom of God, there is no legitimate reason to let that anger destroy you. That there's another way of living in the world. And so this is what Jesus is trying to get at from the beginning. Before he talks about anger, he's saying, listen to his disciples. I've already called you to myself. He's speaking to people who've received the grace and the life of God. He says, all of God's blessings are yours. And if you belong to Jesus today, if you follow Jesus today, these words are for you as well. All of God's blessings are already yours. Life in the kingdom of God is already yours. You don't have to live in a way that consumes you because God's life, his power, his love, his mercy is already available to you. You don't have to live this way. You are already blessed, Jesus says. 
You already salt and light. He already names us. He already values us. He already affirms us. He says, you don't have to live the kind of way that of orgazomenos leading to Raqqa. You have already received the life of the kingdom of God. And empowered by my grace, you can live in a way that is so countercultural and doesn't make sense to the world where orgazomenos and Raqqa don't dominate your life, but life and joy and peace and love is what fills your life. Jesus is saying another way is possible. A new reality is possible. You don't have to live in this way. And so Jesus sets it up in the Sermon on the Mount. Says you have already received life of my kingdom. Now I want you to live this out. And he shows us how to live this out. He doesn't give us a lot of steps, but he gives us a profound image that we need to pay attention to. Jesus says those who belong to me are those who know how to deal with the consuming anger that comes our way, that we don't let it sit there and consume us and destroy us, that there's a way of living life so that we live with the level of freedom. And some of us in this room, God wants you to live in freedom, the joy, the peace, the life in the kingdom of God. And this is not something that can just, it, it is something that can happen just like that. And it's something that has worked over the course of months and years and weeks. And yet Jesus offers an image here that I think is really important. And I want to make a couple of connections before I close. In verse 23, Jesus, he, he talks about anger. And then he says the word raka. And then he says there's a different way of living. And then he gives a sense of urgency. He says, therefore, he transitions right into this. He says, he goes right, he takes us to church. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Let me, I mean, I mean, we hear that. It doesn't, it's so far removed from our world that it doesn't hit us. But let me try to flesh this out for us to see how drastic these words are. During Jesus' day, He's talking about the gift as a sacrifice. And during Jesus' day, people would travel long distances from their homes to make a sacrifice at the temple. And so let's say you're one of the travelers. You're a traveler. You need to make a sacrifice. You have to now plan your trip with your family. Often you're going to take your children, extended family. You're going to take a trip. Sometimes it was a day trip. Sometimes it was a two-day trip. Sometimes it was a three-day trip. There were no Ubers, there's no trains, there's no planes. You're walking, you got animals. This is a long trip to make a sacrifice. You get to the place of where a sacrifice is made, and now you have to wait online to purchase an animal to be sacrificed. You made the trip, you, per- you wait online. It's like, imagine like the DMV, you're waiting online, you got your number. Okay, number 24, thank you. You, get, you got there, you get your animal. You get the animal, then you have to wait on another line because the priest is there sacrificing animals. So you have to wait with your animal, a, 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 a sacrifice to make your relationship right with God. Finally, the priest says, okay, come up here. It's, it's your turn. You come up, you bring your animal to the priest. The priest lays his hand on the animal. You're about to do the sacrifice to get your relationship right with God. And then Jesus says, and at that moment, you remember there's a problem that you have with someone. Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Look how drastic this is. You didn't travel all of that, waited online, 
waiting on another line. You're ready for the sacrifice. Jesus says, you're about to do the sacrifice. Stop what you're doing. Put your hands in the air. Wave them like you just, put your hands in the air. And, and then he says, go back and make the relationship right. Now it's like, Lord, <laughs> I, I did all of that. You want me to go now back to my hometown where the problem is? That, look at the draft. Uh, imagine it this way. You, you, you go to LaGuardia Airport. You, you drive. You can't even find. Which one is the terminal? You don't have, the, the signage is so terrible. You don't even know where you're going. Finally, you get to gate whatever. You go through check-in. You go through the metal detectors. You take your shoes off. You take your belt off. You take your hat off. You take everything. Get the, get the laptop in a second. You're doing all that work. It's a long line. Finally, you get through. You walk all the way because the gate is on the other side of the tree. You walk, and you're walking and walking like you're going to Mordor. You're walking and walking and walking, and you are walking. You, you finally check in. You're, you're, you're in group four. You know, you got to wait till everybody else gets in. You're waiting in line. Finally, you get in. You walk on the plane. You sit down on the plane, and the Holy Spirit says, you have an issue you need to resolve. Get off the plane. Lord, I just did all that. You kidding me? You want me to go back? No, get off the plane. Go back to your neighborhood where the issue is. You're not calling them. You're going to have a face-to-face conversation with them. Could you imagine that? We say, I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. I'll call them. I'll see them on the way back. But God says, Jesus says, this is how urgent the issue is. Because if you don't do this, this orgazomenos that leads to Raqqa is going to consume you. It's going to destroy you. And so maybe Jesus is using exaggerated language here, but the point is is taken. The urgency of this moment is so critical that Jesus says you cannot have a relationship here with God that's right without having relationships here that are not right. And that's essentially the point that Jesus is making. Here's essentially what Jesus is saying. And I want to just list out three things and then we'll pray together. Jesus is saying uh, effectively in this, in this message here, your relationship with God is not as good as you think if your relationship with another person is damaged. Your relationship with God is not as good as you think if your relationship with another person is damaged. This is, this is a hard truth because we often like to live life basing our relationship with God on our relationship with God. I prayed, I read the Bible, went to church. We're doing good. Lord, we're doing good. And then he says, no, 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 but, there, but there's, there's some issue. You're, you're harboring anger here. Where someone's angry at you, there's, there's a dynamic here. And God says, essentially, your relationship with me is now compromised because there's something happening here that's not right. This is the urgency. Jesus is saying, don't think that you can have a right relationship with God and have wrong relationships with people. This is the urgency that Jesus gives. And and so we need to hear that word because we live a false peace with God. We think we're doing great. And God says we're not because there's stuff that needs to be addressed. Out of this teaching, Jesus essentially says we are called now to move towards others. He says go find someone. And that's typically not our posture whenever there's anger, whenever there's challenges between other people here. It's typically we attack or we avoid. But he says, move towards that person. And there's so many different steps, and and this would require a good uh, seven-week sermon just on this here. But I want you just to get the spirit of what Jesus is saying. 
that our call as followers of him is to now move towards other people. And Jesus effectively says this as well, that, that we are to address the matter quickly, not to let it simmer. Because he knows that orgazomenos will consume you and destroy you. And what leads to all this kind of raka. And so he says, address the matter quickly. Don't let it simmer. Now, in all this, this is why we, this, why do we have emotionally healthy stuff? Why do we have emotionally healthy spirituality? Why do we have emotionally healthy relationships? Because we need tools. We need to be equipped to have relationships that deal with this kind of stuff. And if you've never taken emotionally healthy relationships, please take it. And if you've taken it once, take it again. Take it again. We need all the help we can get to have the tools and the skills to navigate and negotiate um, uh, situations of of tension and anger in our relationships. But I want you to hear Jesus' words. Your relationship with God is not as good as you think. If your relationship with another person is damaged, and we're called to move towards others, ultimately in love, and we are called to address the matter quickly, not to let it simmer. Now, when you look at all these words, these are hard words by Jesus. It makes sense again why Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because unless you recognize your inability and your powerlessness to do this, you can never do it. Unless we say, Lord, unless you fill me with your love and fill me with your grace and fill me with your power, I can't do any of that there. Which is why he begins with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that without God's power, we can do nothing. Blessed are those that recognize that apart from abiding in me, you can do nothing. We are called to confess our poverty of spirit so that God could work in us and work through us. And the reality is this. In a room this size, there's a lot of orgazomenos. And there's a lot of raka. And yet God wants to free us to be salt and lions. God wants to free us to live with joy and freedom and peace. God wants to free us to live life in the kingdom of God. But he begins by saying, Lord, in my own strength, I can't do it. And so, Lord, send your power. This is why we pray. Every Sunday I say, guys, we need to pray. We need a life with God. We need silence. Why? Because the power of orgazomenos is so deep. Every time we pray, we are saying, Lord, would you soften my heart? Lord, as I come to you here, there's so much in me, resentment and anger. Lord, would you soften my heart? Every time we read scripture, Lord, would you soften my heart? Every time we gather for worship and praise and and as a community, Lord, would you soften my heart? Lord, I know I can go down the road of orgazomenos leading to raka, consuming me and destroying me. Lord, would you soften my heart? That's why we're here. That's why we're here, to let the life of the Spirit of God transform us deeply so that we can live in the way and in the freedom and the life and in the joy that Jesus offers us. Let's pray together. I want to invite our worship team to come forward. And I wonder today, what are you angry about? Who are you angry with? 
Where has orgazomenos turned to raka in your life? Where do you need the freedom of God, the power of God, the grace of God? Maybe there's a face that comes to mind, a situation that's been unsettling to you. And yet there's an urgency from Jesus today saying, unless our relationships with others are marked by grace and truth, that our relationship with God is compromised. Lord Jesus, in our own strength, we can do nothing. None of this. Lord, which is why we need you so badly. We need your power so deeply. We need the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and our minds to give us a vision of what freedom and joy and peace can look like. And so, Spirit of the living God, would you come and move on every heart in this room that we would live with joy and peace and life in your kingdom. Lord, there is a way that you've called us to live. And Lord, that way cannot happen unless you empower us to do it. And so come, Lord. Fill us to overflow. That we would not just have external religious observance, but Lord, that we would have a transformed heart as well. Set us free in the name of Jesus. Free us. For if the sun sets us free, we shall be free indeed. We sing to you now words of praise and worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Let me invite you to stand.